Jalen Ramsey. Today we have Daniel Lerner, who is the Memphis Tigers beat writer. Uh, we're here to talk about her journey as a as a sports sports writer uh, in the basketball world. Um, you know the trials and tribulations of that. We're here to talk about Memphis Tigers basketball team this season. Her thoughts on the boys. Her thoughts on the NCAA tournament. Her thoughts on the pandemic and what a season is like covering a team during wild times like we live in now. Tune in. So what's your time like? What's, what's Memphis been like for you this year, first year in Memphis? Uh, like what's Memphis been like to you? How, how you've been embracing it? Some of your favorite places to go, restaurants, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been weird, like moving to a new place during a pandemic for sure, because you're not getting like the full experience. But it was nice that I, I got here in August. So it was still warm out. I've, I've spent a lot of time outside and, you know, down by the river and, and uh, kind of seeing everything that there was to see. Um, before it got cold and before, you know, restrictions shut stuff down again. But um, I live in Midtown, which I really, really love that neighborhood. It's been great. That's really where I spend most of my time. If I go on walks or runs, you know, I'm, I'm going to Overton Park a lot. Um, re restaurants around here have been great. Like I live right by the barbecue shop and uh, Casablanca and um, Tamboli's Pizza and like, so many good wing places. I mean, man, the wings have really been like my my crutch here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that city. I, I go back quite often. I'm a big uh, I'm a big corky guy, a big barbecue guy. Um, so I, I love the barbecue. I love Central Barbecue as well. That's probably my oh. favorite. Uh, <laughs> That was the first meal that I ate in Memphis. The first night I got here, I got Central Barbecue and took it over to Levitt Shell and ate on the grass. It was great. That was awesome. It's, it's awesome. one of my favorite places ever. Um, so what's it, what's it been like this year covering a team during the pandemic? What's that like? That got to be kind of difficult. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely different. Um, and I think, you know, all of us kind of didn't know how it was going to go. Of course, you know, people who covered college football were the ones who kind of had to experience this firsthand, right? But it has been weird because I have these relationships that I've managed to form with some of the staff and some of the players, but I've never talked to them in person. Um, I met a couple of them back in either August or September. They had a unity march on campus to you know, raise awareness for social justice and, and racial injustice. And um, I went to that and kind of bumped elbows with a couple people. But other than that, I mean, even at games, usually we would be down on the court and this season we're kind of behind the, the basket up at, on the uh, first uh, concourse level. So, you know, you, I couldn't even yell down to someone if I wanted to really. Uh, so it's definitely been been really different and all the interactions are via zoom or via phone but um, you know it's it's at the core like journalism my job is about building relationships and I think like it's definitely harder to do that when you don't have the in-person interaction but it's not impossible you just it's just all about communicating and making sure you find ways that you can still communicate and communicate as often as you would during a normal season yeah uh, I, I figured it would be different because I as I, like when I played, it was just more like it was very hands-on with you know um, you know you, you guys in the media who cover the team and things of that nature. So it definitely got to be a little different now. I'm sure, especially with the craziness going on with the pandemic. Um, you know, what's it like being a female covering college basketball? There's not many. Um, what's that like for you? Like some of the challenges, some of the 
some of the things you, you loved about the job and just like how you go about things? Yeah, you know, I think there are actually a lot more of us than people realize. Um, I mean, and, and we all lean on each other and know each other. And that's a network that has been really helpful to me, not just pe other people who cover college basketball, but just women in all of sports journalism. You know, you, you face the same challenges, I think, no matter what league you're covering in some way. But um, I think the, the hardest thing to overcome really is, is the perception. Um, you know, day to day, like, I'm not waking up like, oh, time to do my job as a woman in sports today. Like, let's go. You know, it's not something that you consciously think about um, as something you have to deal with. But I mean, subconsciously, like, I know there are ways that I have to do my job that is different than how a male colleague has to do his. And that's little things like if I ask a source for their phone number, I have to make sure that I am crystal clear that this is only for work purposes. That is why I'm asking for your phone number to call you and ask you about this team or call you and ask you about this. And that's something that a male journalist doesn't have to clarify or specify. He doesn't have to worry about someone getting the wrong idea of why you want to talk to them or why you want to meet up with them. Um, so it's, it's just kind of the little things like that, but you can't let it bother you that much. I mean, I think the good thing is, honestly, I have never experienced any sexism from players or coaches. I think those are the people who are used to it. They just see reporters as reporters. If you do your job well, you ask them good questions, you show that you know your stuff, they're going to respect you and they're going to talk to you, you know, at, with respect. It's more comes from, from readers or fans or sometimes, honestly, the other older male colleagues in the biz who, who maybe, you know, want to look down their nose at you a little bit what was it like I know you know you call it you cover college basketball then you get the Memphis job this year what was it like knowing you were coming to cover Penny Hardaway and you know honestly like myself I when I first met Penny in 2005 my freshman year I was like I was like big guy so what was it like for you now you know not someone you communicate with on a daily basis um like what's the, what was that like for you What's that relationship like with you guys, like covering a team, and how's that going? Yeah, you know, I think um, the funny thing is I, I wasn't really starstruck at the idea of covering Penny, number one, because, you know, I, I was still pretty young when he was kind of at the height of his fame in the league, um, and, and so I, don't, I didn't really grow up, like, I was the later part of the 90s, and so I didn't grow up, like, idolizing him in that way. Um, and I don't know that I would have him, you know, playing for Orlando and me growing up a, a Golden State fan. Uh, so, you know, if he had stuck with us after, after draft night, maybe. Um, but, you know, I also think that, you know, sometimes you do still get starstruck in this line of work. Like, I think the one person I've been starstruck by interviewing was Mia Hamm. I'm a big soccer fan. And I got to interview her once and was like tripping all over my words. So it does happen, but I think, you know, you get used to just learning how to treat people as people and they'll treat you as people. And it's, it's really not a big deal. And that doesn't mean you can't still have immense respect for everything that someone like Penny has accomplished both in his playing days and now in his coaching days. Um, I think you have to have respect for someone in order to cover them and you want them to have respect for you. But um, it, it wasn't something where I was like, Oh my God, I'm covering coming to cover Penny Hardaway, you know, I'm, I'm freaked out. I think um, Memphis fans might resent me for saying this, but it, it's very much a similar atmosphere to covering Louisville where, you know, Rick Pitino, 
even though he wasn't a, a legacy at Louisville, like he had that stature. He was very much larger than life there. You know, he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's, he's a big deal. Um, a lot of their former players that I've covered there, you know, are big deals. So um, the fan bases are passionate in very much the same way. So it wasn't too much of an adjustment. So what, what was that like? What was your, how's your, your media journey been? You know, has it been tough? Like when you first got out of college, wanted to get into that field, like what was it like when, when you said to yourself, you know what, let me, let me jump all in here and let me see what this is about. How, like, give me a little bit about your journey. Yeah. You now. Um, well, it's been, I don't want to say it's been easy because it's the, nothing in this job is ever, ever easy, but it's been straightforward for me because I have always had my mindset on journalism from the time I was like 10. Um, that's what I knew I wanted to do is, is writing in some sort of way. And I think I really honed in on journalism specifically uh, by the time I was in high school um, and honed in on sports journalism by the end of high school. So like my, I went to University of Missouri. I grew up in San Jose, California, which is the Bay Area. Um, and I went to University of Missouri specifically to go to their journalism school because it's very good which was obviously a big culture shift just going from California to Missouri. Um, but I had a great time there. I learned a lot. I majored specifically in sports journalism because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I got a lot of hands-on experience just through college. Um, but it was funny how I ended up in Louisville afterwards because it was like two weeks before I was supposed to graduate college. So in 2016. And um basically my two job opportunities were either to stay there in Columbia, Missouri and cover preps for a local paper or go to some paper in Northwest Arkansas and cover like preps, but also like the outdoors, which I'm still not really clear on what that is. I think it would have been like rodeo and like fishing and I don't know. Didn't excite me the most, but I was just like, you know what? I want a job. I know this is the industry that I want to go into. So like I'll take, whatever in order to get a foothold um and then a couple weeks before i was going to graduate i hadn't decided what i was going to do yet i get a call from pat 40 who is now at sports illustrated at the time um was still at yahoo and um he he is also a missouri grad and we had had become friends through a network and he called and said you know the paper in louisville has an opening they're looking for a kentucky basketball beat writer so you might want to reach out and so I write myself a nice little email. I'm like, hey, you know, I know I'm really young, just coming out of school, but, you know, really love this opportunity. Here's all my stuff. And the editor writes back and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. We're not hiring for this. Like Kyle, Kyle Tucker, who was in the job at the time, he's not leaving. Like, I don't know where you heard that. And I was like, oh, okay, my bad. So sorry. And then a couple of days later, I get a phone call and they're like, so you were right. And Kyle Tucker is leaving. He just hadn't told us yet. And we think it's funny that you scooped us on our own writer leaving. So we can't give you the UK beat because that's a big deal. But if you want to come here and intern for a few months, basically, if you don't mess up, we'll hire you for something. And so that's how I wound up in Louisville and, you know, had a bunch of different jobs there, but worked my way up to the Louisville basketball beat over the course of three years and, and you know, covered that team for for a while and then, you know, covered them for the athletic um, for, for the last season. So, you know, I think the moral of the story here that I always tell like anyone else who wants to get into journalism, no matter what your background is, is like, 
use your network and take your chances. Like it never hurts to ask for something. It never hurts to reach out and make connections with people. Cause like, that's how this works. That's how I ended up in, in Memphis is the editor here had a mutual friend of another editor of mine. And, and so they connected and, and reached out to me and like, that's just kind of how it works. My, my, my guy, my guy, Luke Murray's at Louisville. That's my guy. Yeah. 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 I know Luke. <laughs> I know Luke well. We, um, he coached uh, the AU program that I played for, the New England players, uh, before he got into college. And I knew him very well. He's, I talked to him quite often. He's an awesome dude. Awesome, yeah, he's, awesome. he's a good dude. He somehow knew I was coming to Memphis before I, like, had told anyone. He texted me, like, congrats on Memphis. I was like, how did you know? Uh, <laughs> he's, he's a good dude. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. So what, what's, your, what's your take on this Memphis team, um, you know, this year from – from the beginning to now, like, give me some of your thoughts on, on, on that team and what you've seen so far. You know, it's been really interesting because it's been such a roller coaster of a season, right? I think that the expectations were really high, and I think that – I don't think that those were overinflated. I think that based on the talent they had, you know, picked to finish second in the conference, that's where they should be. All the expectations and preseason accolades that these players earned, like, they deserved them but they haven't lived up to them and that's on them. And that's because of some of what we saw in the non-conference and beginning of the conference play, which was just kind of a lack of identity and, you know, a, a penchant for, for selfish play for, you know, if a play breaks down, they just hold the ball and kind of wait for an ISO situation to open up. And, you know, as you and, and everyone else knows, that's, that's not a sustainable way to go throughout an entire basketball season. So it's been interesting see the, seeing them in these last couple of weeks really seem to find a groove offensively because on defense, I think we all know, like that was never really in doubt. That was always going to be, you know, the, the baseline foundation of this team is, is the hard nose pressing D. Um, and I love watching that style of defense. Back when Rick Pitino kind of ran his defense at Louisville, it was very much that same kind of trapping, deflection, steals. And I think that's really exciting basketball to watch. Um, but, you know, I've enjoyed seeing the different wrinkles that Penny has put into the offense, not just the lion set, but a lot more motion, a lot more stuff where they're starting in like a one, four and having backdoor cuts. Um, so I think if they continue with that, you know, hopefully this pause doesn't derail that momentum. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I agree. I think, you know, watching them, I'm like defensively, I really don't have any worries. It was always offense. Um, and, you know, I think the offense that we were running, uh, when I say we, because I still feel like I'm a part of the team. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like they were running NBA sets in a lot of sets for, for guys who are playmakers. And I think, you know, we lost those guys last year. And I think Penny and the staff adjusted to the guys that they have now and kind of said, you know what, we have to change things up. We got to put these guys in a little easier situations. And they they starting to start to overcome those those droughts that they had offensively and kind of, I think, you know, allowing Landers to kind of be the guy offensively a little bit. And, you know, at first seemed like not the coach, but some of the guys were fighting it a little bit. And, you know, I think now that, that they're all more comfortable in that offensive mindset, like, you know, the wind started coming and, you know, sad the pandemic hit them, them COVID hit them guys. But I was, I was super excited to kind of see what we were about with playing against Houston at Houston that last Sunday. But, Hopefully they can make that game up if possible. Uh, but I, I definitely agree with you on that for sure. Yeah, I, I think uh, Lander's emerging kind of as like the guy, like you said, has been really important because 
you need a hierarchy when you're out there on offense sometimes, right? Like you need to know, okay, if all else fails, like who are we going to, to take this shot? Um, and what are the best ways to get him those shots that he wants, which for him have mostly been behind the arc, but I like that lately he's been putting the ball on the floor a little bit more. Um, I think it gives them a, a little bit more of a dynamic uh, aspect to the offense. So what is your take on like, is like, will they just jump right into the NCAA, I mean, the conference tournament? What's your take on the conference tournament? What do you, how do you like our chances? Who, you know, who do you feel outside of Houston kind of may be a threat to us? I mean, obviously Tulsa, just based on, on those two games that they played this year, right? I think that there's always one team who seems to kind of be uh, a kryptonite factor. And, and for Memphis, not just this year, but last year as well, that's Tulsa. For whatever reason, Frank Haith has really figured out what Penny Hardaway likes to do. Um, you know, granted, they've made all of these adjustments we just talked about since the Tulsa game. So I'd be interested to see if they did meet up in the AAC tournament, um, if things would go any differently. Um, but I think that's the one team that you definitely would want to avoid in that bracket besides Houston. But everyone else, you know, even even some of the games earlier in the season where they didn't play the great, like South Florida, who they're supposed to play again before the end of the regular season, you know, that was a tight game. But I think that was December, like end of December, December 29th. You look at that team in that game compared to now, like to me, they look so, so different. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to predict because – the team has changed their schemes so often. Um, I think how they'll fare against teams that they've already played. But I would say that, I mean, definitely a top three seed in the conference tournament is well within reach. Oh, okay. And, you know, that would, that, that'll, that'll definitely kind of get them, a, get them a bye, I'm sure, in the first round. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for them. You know, I'm always rooting for them. If we have Daniel's crystal ball, where do you predict Memphis in the postseason? Honestly, right now, NIT. Uh, I don't think – I don't think, unfortunately, because of the games that got wiped off the schedule, that they have enough big opportunities left. And, and this is assuming that none of these four canceled games get rescheduled. I mean, we, we have to be pessimistic in that nature, right? It, it's tough to do that. If they could reschedule one, it would be most advantageous to reschedule the game at Houston just because that's a, a big opportunity where, like, if they lose that game, it's not going to sink them any lower. But if they win that game at Houston, like, that's a huge deal. But the one remaining home game that they have against Houston right now of the four games that they're scheduled to play is really the only opportunity for a signature win because right now their best win would be that win over SMU here at home. And SMU even is really not even a bubble team. So, you know, when you're just looking at the net and the team sheets and stuff like that, they had some opportunities earlier in their schedule. You know, Auburn would have been a great win in the non-conference if they could have gotten that done. But they just – the conference isn't strong this year. So they don't have a ton of opportunities to prove themselves, unfortunately. Uh, well, hopefully – I think, you know, hopefully, like, we all think they could – make some noise in the, in the conference tournament if allowed to play it. I think if, you know, they can get in there and get to that title game, then anything can happen. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's the best shot right now. I think either beating Houston in, in the very last game of the regular season, um, if they beat Houston, they don't have to do as well in the conference tournament, obviously. If they don't beat Houston, I mean, you can make a run. Yeah. Hey, Danielle, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate your time. I'll definitely be rooting for them when they – 
get back playing hopefully soon. Um, again, thank you so much. I appreciate all you do for Memphis. Thank you so. Thank you again. For sure. Thank you for the opportunity. No problem.